Streetlights are on, and you're listening to Largely the Truth with Brennan Store. To all you restless sleepers and midnight creepers, bleary eyed truckers in the graveyard shift, this is Brennan Store, and you're listening to Largely the Truth. Whether you're staring at a screen or the lines on the road, all is well, and for the next little while, it's going to stay that way. Because I'm here. You're there, and together, we're going to explore the night. Welcome back to Largely the Truth, the Internet's favorite podcast. The Internet just doesn't know it yet. Folks, it is 2022. This is my first episode of the year, and it is good to be back. If you've listened to the show before, you likely know that I host another podcast, the Bi-Weekly Ghost Story Guys, which also happens to be my primary job. And by the end of 2021, keeping up with this show's weekly schedule and my schedule of both public and patron shows for GSG, it had all become a little overwhelming. So, after episode 19 with Andrea Janes, I took some time off to rest and come up with a more realistic plan for both shows. And so to that end, starting this year, Largely the Truth will be a bi-weekly show, released on opposite weeks to the Ghost Story Guys. And this will allow me to bring you the best possible show I can while still having enough time to screw around and I do whatever it is I do in my off hours. I, <laughs> I like working, man. I do. But sometimes it gets to be a bit much and you don't realize until you're in it. But anyways, since this is my first show of 2022, I wanted to speak with someone special. And it was only really in the last couple of weeks that the perfect person appeared. Uh, someone who, who's actually turned out to be kind of a weird spiritual twin of mine. <laughs> that person is Tara Saraban host of the podcast, World's Dumbest Criminals. Now, you'll hear the story of how Tara and I met shortly, but the short version is that the Ghost Story Guys and Tara's previous podcast, Bloody Murder, started around the same time. And Bloody Murder took off like a shot. And uh, as Tara puts it, they made it to the bottom of the top. And one of the things I love doing is talking shop with other hosts. Uh, Production, marketing, I love the business of podcasting. But I, I so rarely get a chance to do it. And prior to speaking to Tara, I'd never really had a chance to talk to someone who had achieved that level of popularity, particularly in true crime. True crime is a very particular genre with a very particular audience. And so I was really, really eager to find out what it was like to run a podcast as popular as Bloody Murder was in its heyday and as popular as I suspect World's Dumbest Criminals is going to be. And Tara was wonderfully honest and forthcoming. And we ended up talking for almost two and a half hours, but only about 55 minutes of it is on the tape. Or pardon me, is on the episode. Uh, but there are 55 great minutes. And I think that afterward, you'll have a much deeper appreciation for what it's like to run a mega popular podcast at the indie level. And the short version of that is you need a whole lot of ambition and very thick skin. So I'm not going to say any more because again, I really enjoy this conversation. You'll find out why we are spiritual twins. It's kind of wild. And uh, I would love to have Tara back at some point. Before we get to the conversation, though, I'd like to remind everybody that if you want an ad-free version of the episode, head on over to patreon.com slash largely the truth. $2 a month gets you in the door, gets that sweet, sweet ad-free early release, and sometimes bonus conversations or, or even whole shows. 
I had an entirely separate interview with Mark Semler from Blue Pine Society about chicken wings, which is only for patrons. In fact, during the hiatus, subscribers got two full music shows, uh, one of them two hours long, which can never be publicly released because music licensing is a huge pain in the ass. And those will be staying up, so new patrons, you have full access. Again, that's patreon.com slash largely the truth for $2 a month. One last thing, don't forget to come find me and the show on the Repod app. You can get that for both Android and iTunes. Search for Largely the Truth with Brennan Store. We've got a room on there. And I would love to hear your comments, your questions. Come check out the show and come share your favorite podcasts on Repod. There's a great little community there of people just sharing some of the best shit they find. Again, that's the Repod app. And you can find that in both Google Play and Apple stores. All right, with the housekeeping out of the way, it's time to sit back, relax, and reach out to Tara Saraban, host of World's Dumbest Criminals. My guest tonight broke onto the podcasting scene roughly around the same time I did, February 2017, and is someone I've been looking forward to meeting for a long time now. We've been sort of uh, briefly in contact via the magic of Instagram. But now I have a chance to sit down and have a conversation with Tara Saraban, formerly of Bloody Murder Podcast and now World's Dumbest Criminals. Tara, welcome to Larger the Truth. Thank you. It's good to be here. Oh, it's good to have you. Like I said, I mean, you and I have been yakking for almost an hour off, uh, off camera now, or off mic. I know. I think we might have talked about all the good juicy stuff already. Well, that's probably good because then uh, we, we don't have anything legally actionable actually recorded. Well, I mean, he is hoping, but I can't guarantee. It's a heat wave here and I'm sweating my face off and uh, I feel as though uh, anything could possibly fly out of my mouth, but uh, <laughs> we'll see. What is a heat wave in Australia? What, what temperature are we talking? Uh, it's around 35 degrees at the moment. Oh. Now, we are probably working in different degrees, though, aren't we? Or nope. do you? No, using we the have same one? Celsius as well. Yeah. Um, but it has been over 30 for over five days, so it- it cools down a little bit during the night and the early morning, but then it's right back up there again. In Melbourne, we're generally pretty lucky in that it'll mix it up a bit and you'll get a colder one. But at the moment, it's just like an armpit all the time. We got hit here on the West Coast with something they called a heat dome oh. last year. And I don't quite understand exactly what the mechanics are behind this thing, but it seems to be very similar to uh, God picking up a magnifying glass and going, fuck these particular ants. Here, 30 is high usually for, for where I live. We were get, I think we got up to 42. Oh, that's diabolical. We can get that here, but it doesn't happen often. It was so hot that my friends who live on the fourth floor had to take their pets into the car and turn on the air conditioning because the, their apartment was, was barely inhabitable for them and uninhabitable for the pets. Oh, my God. We've joked about doing that, but <laughs> we haven't actually had to. <laughs> Yeah, so the yeah the, the heat the great heat dome of twenty twenty Jesus I can't remember what year that was twenty twenty one I'm pretty sure yeah it sounds right oh well it's still hard to realize that twenty twenty one isn't this year for me anyway <laughs> yep. yeah I'm still coping with that so now like I said you started podcasting uh, pretty much the same time I did as we figured out what we were chatting earlier uh, you started Bloody Murder in twenty seventeen yeah in February in twenty seventeen. What's really fascinating about that is true crime podcasts seem to get way more traction than almost any other genre. And it's, it was kind of fascinating watching you guys. Cause again, I can't remember how exactly we first crossed paths. I don't remember how that happened. I remember it was Anthony. Um, so he's friends with uh, hillbilly horror stories. 
And he was one of the first listeners to Bloody Murder. He was the first email we got. Uh, and he was wanting to help set up promo swaps. And then he spoke to us about each other. Right. And yeah, I think he, can't, he hooked us up, really. So that is how that happened. Anthony, I wonder what ever happened to that guy. I've actually heard from him recently. He's in the My World's Dumbest Criminals podcast group. Um, oh, okay. And yeah, he seems to be going well. Like I was saying, something I've noticed about true crime is, yeah, it just, it gets so much uh, traction so much faster and watching you guys grow as, which you obviously you really, really did. Uh, it was, it was fascinating. I was always wanted to know what it was like to be on the inside dealing with the audience in a true crime show, because it's such a different crowd. Absolutely. We had a meteoric rise to the, the top of the middle (laughs) (laughs) and then kind of clawed our way up over the next few years to the bottom of the top, I believe. But it was a lot. We got over a hundred thousand downloads in our first sort of five to six months. Wow. There are a lot less true crime podcasts out then. And by the way, a lot of, of a lot of true crime podcasts have gone so much better than that. But for a couple of people just in a lounge room, not really knowing what they were doing and definitely not knowing what to expect, that was quite something. And it took us a while to know that that was even particularly a lot. Like we were so clueless that we didn't even realize that. (laughs) And you just tend to assume that that's just what it's like for everybody. Um, it didn't take long for me to really get my ass handed to me in reviews though, because I do swear a bit and I swore a lot more back then. I think it was sort of a defense mechanism to kind of bolster myself up. As someone who used to go really over the top and kind of being a creep and a pervo, you know, on, on my show. And it was, it was, I mean, I'm sure I'm a creep and a pervert, but not to that level. (laughs) I was going to say like, what? Yeah, no, I, I understand because you kind of, yeah, it's, it's a defense mechanism. Yeah, so I definitely leaned on it a little hard. Uh, but boy, did people come down on me for that. Because with the true crime audience, a lot of them are, are very, they would say I'm not a prude, but. Oh, yeah. So they're not prudes, but a lot of them cannot stand any swearing with their stories of murder, rape, and sadism. Like, why would you say a swear when you're talking about such hideous things. I mean, how dare you get in the way of my enjoyment? <laughs> uh, I thought there might be uh, dick pics and death threats, but I, there's a, a lot of different kind of <laughs> backlash in between. <laughs> but people would say in reviews things like, obviously they do the whole, oh, you sound like a teenager, but they'd also say you really? swear so much you sound like a dick. And it's like, isn't dick a swear? Are you swearing at me about my swearing? I definitely um, dialed it down a lot later. And so to this day, in the same day, I can be told that I swear too much and that I don't swear enough (laughs) (laughs) because a lot of people actually really liked it. And then I'm trying to like balance the expectations and you can't because they're completely opposite. And so, yeah, still to this day, I swear too much and I don't swear enough. So I just got to swear as much as I feel like it, I've decided. Um, We weren't really ready for what we were doing, you know. We, right. we didn't have the sensi- sensitivity training as such that you get pretty quickly once you do this for a while. So I understand some things did seem pretty objectionable. When you're trying to do comedy true crime, it, it's a bit of a fool's errand, really, unless sure. maybe you're working on cases back from the 19, early 1900s or something. Right. A lot of people hate comedy true crime. They don't think that they should be together at all and they shouldn't be allowed to be. So we would say at the start of our episodes that this is what we did. And if you think they had comedy and true crime had no business being together, 
then this mightn't be the podcast for you. But then we would cover cases that maybe hadn't been covered before. And so people who hate comedy true crime would listen. And then, of course, they would hate it because it was comedy true crime. And then they'd want to tell you all about that. Um, So there was a little hole there that you, you can fall into. But yeah, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was great to finally have some kind of success with something because I've always been plugging away at one thing or another. So it was great that something finally got traction, but it was also quite difficult being the the one out of the two of us that people found the most controversial and objectionable. (laughs) Took some getting used to. We were talking off mic about sort of the, uh, the misogyny that you find in that podcast space. And, you know, I, I was saying that we had a guest on Ghost Story Guys once who was wonderful guest and I, you know, would love to have her back, but they're the only guest against which we've had complaints. We've had people say she was screaming. Someone said she was screaming over everyone. She absolutely was not. Or she was cutting everyone off. She absolutely was not. Again, it was this window into what it must be like to be a, a woman in that space. And I, I don't envy you that at all. You, you were talking about threats or not threats, but, uh, violent things which people suggested would be better if they happened to you. Oh, yeah. You deserve to have your vocal cords cut out. <laughs> things like who that. Who says that? Um, oh, well, a woman who sent a message to the Bloody Murder page. But in that case, she was suggesting that, that uh, it was both of us and the guest that deserved it. So I was kind of like, it wasn't just me. It wasn't just me. <laughs> yay. Yay. Like, you know, whenever it's not just me, I kind of I get a little little jump for joy because often it it is just me. So, you know, the girl one needs to shut up and let the man talk. Right. That woman's disgusting and gross and, you know, I'm not a prude but blah, blah, blah. It's interesting doing it with like a middle-aged cis white guy as well because they can kind of get away with more. As far as I oh, was sure. concerned, I thought we were doing similar things with that podcast, Barney and I. So right. for... The criticism to mostly be aimed at me was really like stark. I was like, oh, surely if you object to things like swearing or anything else about the podcast, you would think that you would object to both of us, but no, just me. (laughs) So I found that a little bizarre. And what's very interesting is I would say it was somewhat more women than men. I didn't get the female misogyny until I started podcasting. I mean, it's always been there, but I didn't realize. That's fascinating. I wondered what the breakup what breakdown like that would, was. Definitely more women. I was not expecting that. Yeah, yeah. There's this delightful lady named Marie from South Africa who would hate listen to us. And then she'd send us emails. Well, not us, me, about how, how, how I was the most annoying podcaster in the world, which made me go, wow, Marie can like time travel because who has time to listen to all the podcasts in the world to figure <laughs> out that I am king there. But she would actually, she, it was more than once. It was a few of just like sending emails to tell me how awful I was and, and the narration style's terrible and the writing and this and that. And it's like, I'm sorry, did I make this episode alone? Did I make this whole podcast alone? Do I make it with my imaginary friend that no one can see or hear? So sometimes that sort of feedback would be bizarre. And it is entirely possible that I'm just shit and very irritating. (laughs) (laughs) So like, let's not rule that out. I understand there's a possibility that that's the case. But I have spoken to other women in podcasting who have found similar things. It's like if you're in the podcast recommendation groups on Facebook, and there'll often be those posts about like, 
I want a recommendation for a good true crime podcast with a male host because I can't stand female voices because of all the giggling and the vocal fry and this and that and something else. Because dudes never have vocal fry. I know. And like all women do. Fuck off. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. What I did to actually remedy some of that, if you're getting bad reviews and you're not sure kind of how to handle them, is to look up the one-star reviews of the podcast that you love and to see what kind of, you know, people can take a dump on anything. And I notice when I do that with female-hosted podcasts, there's always a lot more. There's this weird impossible standard that you're supposed to be living up to. Yeah. Um, And, you know, you're going to, you kind of can't please them all. And that's fine. You can't. Sure. But I actually got a lot of, I found a lot of feedback within some of that stuff that was helpful in terms of the structure of the show. We used to have a very long introduction, things like that, you know, moving some of that front end to the back end because people want you to get into the cases quicker. So that's why I still always read the reviews and I still do because now I find them kind of amusing because I haven't made bloody murder in nearly a year. But long right. after I'm dead, I'll still be getting the, the like, character assassination, <laughs> you're disgusting. One the other day said, the woman is just plain gross. And I was <laughs> like, excuse me, I'm a very special kind of gross, thank you very much. I'm a sparkly <laughs> unicorn of gross. This takes work. Yeah, well, because it could be argued, a lot of podcasters actually don't ever read them. And that's cool. I mean, fair enough. But I would read them as well, because sometimes there is a recurring theme in that feedback that you can Absolutely. address. And yep. I feel like if you're going to be making something like a podcast, you want to be improving with it and yep. be taking on feedback. But I also understand why people choose not to engage. But then they're not seeing all of the wonderful things that people are writing about them because the majority is really positive. And it makes me a bit sad that they miss out on that because they're just done with all of the like abuse and vitriol. Yeah, it, it's tough. I mean, it's something that, uh, we again, we touched on off mic is this notion that most of the people starting shows, we don't have media training. We don't, we're not familiar with that ecosystem. You know, there are shows which, you know, say for example, uh, My Favorite Murder, you know, those gals had experience in media and careers in media prior to starting that show. So they weren't coming at it completely fresh. They had some knowledge of the industry and entertainment in general, what it is to be an entertainer. But folks like you and me and, and, uh, you know, Paul Bestel, who's my co-host on Ghost Story Guys and also has Mysteries and Monsters. Kev used this from we need to talk about ghosts. Like we came at this stuff just as strangers. And so having to learn how to navigate people kind of knowing you as a, a person of interest, I, I'm not going to say celebrity cause I don't think we ever got there, but you know, just as you know, you're not just anyone. Mm, people have opinions on you and what you say and what you do. And yet you're probably generally not making money off it, at least early on. And you have your regular day job. And unlike a lot of people tend to assume, you don't have a team behind you who's doing all the work. (laughs) You're doing all the work. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think people understand. I think people generally struggle to understand the difference between independent media and professional media. I say professional, but mainstream media will say, because, you know, I'm a big movie nerd. And oftentimes people will say, you know, this little independent movie, it sucks. And you'll say, well, why? Well, because the special effects are shitty. Well, yeah, they shot it for like a dime bag of cocaine in like a back alley somewhere, but you can tell they really know what they're doing. You know, it's just, they just don't have the material to, but it, they, people can't parse that. And not everyone, but a lot of people struggle with that. And I think it's the same with podcasts. They don't understand that, say, when a, a celebrity has a show, 
their involvement with that show is literally the extent of walking into a studio that someone else has already prepared for them, speaking into a microphone and then leaving again. You know, they they don't understand that then five to 10 people go, will go and take this and, and make it into the thing you hear. And then market it and deal with the social media. God, dreamy, huh? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it'd be a better world. I was hired once to produce a news podcast for a local media outlet. They wanted to get into the daily news space. So I started building a show for them and I built them a nice little, you know, 15 minute, this is the news and you know, with transitions and things like this. And, uh, I said, I can put this out for you daily. You know, this is, this is manageable. But then the, because I had done this in, I don't know, three hours or something because you know, I'm good at this. The owner then said, oh, you know, I, I think I might want something more like the New York times daily. Oh, w- would you? Yeah. Are you going to hire <laughs> 20 people to, to work on this with me? Could I make something that sounds like the daily? Sure. Are you willing to pay me enough to make it worth my time? You absolutely are not. And just no concept. And this guy's a millionaire, but he had no concept of, oh, these guys actually have a staff and you're just some schmuck with a microphone doing his best. <laughs> Who edits instead of sleeps. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. I, to be honest, I just hired someone to do my editing. We just oh, started making cool. ad revenue from audio boom and, uh, I'm not all the editing. They just do my pre-edit cleanups so remove the breaths and clicks and all that shit for ghost story guys. But oh, it's awesome. Oh dude. It's so great. It's so great. Um, it saves me probably six hours. Yeah. Well, cause your weeks. episodes are really quite long as well for ghost story guys. Yeah. Anywhere from an hour and 10 minutes to today's was an hour and 45. So it That's amazing. saves you a lot of time, but Coming anyway. Coming back to teams, is, just if we can yeah, briefly. Exactly. Uh, well, it was funny. Um, I've actually had people in reviews suggest that my team get rid of me. And it's like, well, you know, my team's me. We could get rid of me, but I'm afraid the only person left to replace me would also be me. <laughs> so it defeats the purpose. <laughs> sure, I'll get rid of me, but you know what? Here I come. That's me back again. <laughs> that would have been kind of great. You know, the old go, I'll go get the manager and then yeah. you just come back out because you're also the manager. Yeah. My new host. I'm back, motherfuckers. <laughs> we had to get rid of Tara. Podcast marketing. I don't think, again, I don't think people understand this, but you know, it's, it's advised. I actually just heard this today. I was in a, a podcast marketing, uh, like Q and a that they recommend you spend about 50% of your time working on the show and 50% of your time marketing the show. I don't think there's enough time for that to be <laughs> practical. I did think that, yeah. I'm starting to wonder, you know, what kind of show it is they're producing. But e- even if it's, you know, 70-30, it's an enormous amount of time. You, ha- you're su- you're like, you really do need to spend marketing, but it's so hard to do. And again, I don't think independent podcasters understand what they're signing up for. Definitely not. If you look in the podcast groups on Facebook, you'll see it's, it's often those questions being asked. Like, you know, how do I get people apart from my friends and family to listen? Luckily for me, my friends and family never had any interest in listening. So same here. <laughs> I, I was relying on strangers from the very beginning. Yeah. Um, also other podcasts. Tim from History Dweebs was really kind to, to me early on and they sort of talked about us a bit and that really helped us get a bigger audience. Um, and that's, that's a rare thing. And, and I, I like to say, you know, I never... Never forget someone who treats you well when they don't have to. Absolutely. Yeah, he's lovely. 
Yeah, we just came out of nowhere, didn't know anything. And so it's been nice. Most of the podcasters I've I've interacted with have been quite lovely, really. Yeah, same here. I mean, you guys, one of the reasons um, I, I actually talked about this on uh, an episode of Host Adventures, which is one of our patron-only shows. I was saying that, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show is you guys, again, even though we started at the same time, you accelerated so much faster than we did, but you were still friendly enough to have a chat. And again, that's not necessarily as common as you might hope when you have shows of unequal stature. You know, we're talking about people who don't have media training. I think the flip side of that, you know, you're not prepared for the influx of attention, but then there are the people who are expecting attention. And so when they start getting any kind of acclaim, their reaction is, oh yeah, I've always been, I've been waiting for this. I deserve this. And immediately then you are peasantry and they are podcast royalty. And so I I always respected that, that you were always very cool about that. Oh, okay. Well, you know, A, probably didn't realize that we were that big. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, and B, uh, yeah, I don't know. It wouldn't occur to me. It's not, it's not like you're suddenly royalty or something. I, I don't really understand. Like I'm interested in the whole community side of it as well because podcasting such a solo kind of endeavor or maybe just you and someone else. And it's not like when you have a workplace and you have, you know, workmates and you have sort of a sense of community. So you'd always want to be, I would always want to be, uh, you know, involved with people in that way. And also different areas because I know a lot of true crime podcasters and I feel that, you know, I know that we weren't nearly as big as some of them. So in right. that regard too. But I, I guess if you're working in a genre that isn't true crime, you, you're just generally getting a little a little bit of a less of an audience, maybe unless it's comedy or something. I'm not really sure. Again, I've, I've only seen it a handful of times with people kind of pulling out the hi-hat, but I've, I've definitely seen it. And certainly there are a handful of shows that I used to listen to quite a bit and I was, you know, very much a, a booster for, but then they, they hit a certain critical mass and they started reading their reviews on air, again, in this manner of, you're welcome for our presence. And I, it, there's <laughs> just a massive turnoff in, in terms of interest in the show. So I'm assuming you mean they were reading their good reviews? They were, yeah. And which is oh, fine. Okay. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's totally fine. I do love a bad scathing review. I'd be far more interested in hearing those. But, um, maybe, oh, absolutely. But then again, you're feeding the trolls when you do that. So you uh, never have really done so. Um, I don't know. I, I really wish that I could be very um, self-aggrandizing and arrogant sometimes. I think it seems like it would be nice. You know, like, oh, I'm so wonderful. Oh, the wonder of me. Aren't I brilliant? But um, yeah, I don't, I don't have that, that bit. I'm missing that bit, unfortunately, because um, I'd love to be an us. arrogant dick. I think it looks like a sweet gig. <laughs> it really does. Yeah, there's, there's potential there. Here's a lovely review about how wonderful I am. <laughs> okay, one thing I can promise you I'll never do is that. <laughs> uh, it's interesting though because I don't know, I'm sure you probably get this too, but as a podcaster you get a lot of people reaching out about sort of how you've, like in my case, people leaving domestic violence situations and things like that and how oh, listening well. to your shows really sort of help them gain strength through that. It's quite amazing the reach you can get from something that you're making in your bedroom or whatever, and that you can actually be really assisting people in ways that you you wouldn't possibly dream of without even deliberately trying to as such. Like, I love that. That's amazing. That, that really, you know, completely counterbalances all of the, the petty shit, but is far less hilarious to talk about. (laughs) That's it. Yeah. 
the nice stuff. I I always feel if I talk too much about the nice stuff, I'm I'm. It sounds like I'm patting myself on the back too much. But I remember we uh, we got this one email in the first year of Ghost Story Guys from a woman named, and I won't get into the content of it. But basically, it was it was a ghost story. It was something that had happened to her family, but it was almost seeming like it was drawing her attention towards this particular domestic situation, a really horrifying domestic situation. And recognizing it allowed her to extract herself and and the people she loves from it before it got any worse. But what really got me was she sent it to us and she said, you know, your show, listening to your show has sort of helped me kind of realize, like pay, pay attention to these things. And it scared the shit out of me, Tara, because all of a sudden I realized this matters to some people. And nothing I'd ever done had mattered to people like that. And I didn't know Same. how to, yeah. And I didn't, I didn't know how to take that. Yeah, it's a lot of responsibility. That's it. That's it. I mean, we, we're not going to, obviously we're not going to dwell on this too much, but you know, my show went through a transition at the end of 2020, Ghost Story Guys. And one of the reasons that I stuck it out as long as I did was because we would get messages like that. And I, and I remember this one particular message from a woman who said that, a year or two before she had been down and out, she was in a homeless shelter and that's, that's where she was spending her nights and she would sneak her phone in because you weren't meant to have tech after lights out. She would sneak her phone into under her covers so she could listen to us at night. So she wouldn't feel alone. And it was a really wonderful thing to hear, but at the same time it haunted me because I felt responsible to that woman and people who are in that, who are getting something from it, who I knew that if, you know, if, if the change that I, that I needed to have happen, that the show needed to have happen, happened, it would cause people to view the past episodes differently, even though they didn't need to, they would. And that really weighed on me because all of a sudden you realize I have a debt to these people who are listening to the show. And like you, I don't like using the word fan. I like listener. And you feel like you have a debt to your listeners. And that, that's it again, not something I think you, you think about going in and, and it kind of hit me really, really hard. Well, yeah, it's quite haunting when you get your first one of those because it's just like, what? Whoa, hey. Um, and it is something, I guess, because of the personal nature of podcasting and because most people, statistically, most people listen to podcasts alone. Yep. So in that regard, it's kind of us and them, if you know what I mean, for the, for the person oh, yeah. listening to you. And trying to do comedy true crime is, is ugh, you're never going to win it. That's for sure, because there's always the, the balance is different for everyone. It's in the ear of the beholder. But I was always very, very much trying to be respectful of the victims and their loved ones and survivors, right. and you know, get the humor at the expense of, of the bad guy, because you get family members and things listening as well, and um, also people that have dealt with similar situations, and you sure. absolutely don't want to be. I guess the way that you can have that positive impact on people in a similar way, you can have a negative one and you really don't want to be opening up people's wounds. Yeah. The only true crime podcast that you listen to apart from Bloody Murder was uh, last podcast on the left because oh, everyone yeah. listened to that. And I listened to it right up to the point when I went to one of their live shows and I saw a live show in Vancouver a couple of years ago. Uh, well, more than a couple now, uh, maybe four years, four ish years <laughs> yeah, ago. Yeah, it's like the past two years almost didn't count, isn't it? Because <laughs> <laughs> so we didn't really go anywhere. <laughs> but uh, it, I was so bummed out because the crowd was cheering for serial killers like they were superheroes or sports stars. And I thought this really puts the lie to that conversation that, 
oh, this is about honoring the victims. It, I mean, not, not all shows, but definitely in that moment, in that show, I thought, I mean, if that's what you're trying to do, your audience is not hearing you because they're cheering out B T K like it's a game show. Oh, wow. And, oh yeah. I was mortified and I, I just stopped. I lost interest in the show after that. I was just so bummed. I've never heard them bring that sort of thing on themselves, but I haven't. The thing about making a podcast for me is that I don't listen to many other podcasts, unfortunately, because I'm too busy making my own damn podcast. (laughs) Yeah, I'm the same. It's a funny one too, though, because I was doing comedy with true crime. That meant a lot of people would assume that that I would then find anything funny. Rape jokes, hilarious. You know, like, oh, um, domestic violence jokes, they're good. Uh, So they would think that they then had permission to sort of have free reign about any kind of bad taste thing. And they don't recognize that behind the scenes you're actually, well, I'm very strict about what I will and won't be making jokes about. Uh, But it doesn't mean that that necessarily translates because a lot of people think that I, I don't spend three days or, you know, with the other podcast, Bloody Murder, I don't spend weeks writing and researching things. They think you just jump on the mic and this just comes to you and you're just saying stuff off the top of your head. And oh, they yeah. don't recognize that there are so many rules that I set for myself with that and so many boundaries that I try not to cross. But it, it just seems to some people that, no, you're just out there and, and what's the difference between what you're saying and, and what that is? Which is generally oh, sure. that you're, you're trying to punch up and not down, trying to demystify this whole obsession with serial killers and make them look like the pathetic losers that they actually are is a big part of what I try and do. Particularly with world's dumbest criminals, my favourite thing is giving shit to perverts. It's my favourite <laughs> fucking thing. Like I could just do that all the time, but I don't do it on every episode because I think it would get a bit shame- same-ish. Right, um, right, right. But it is... Just, I get such a thrill from it because <laughs> I feel like the narratives that you read growing, uh, particularly growing up, I know the media is being a bit more careful these days generally, but it's really like, oh, this powerful bad guy and the poor woman who gets, you know, abused by him and, it, you know, fuck yep. that. No, they're not powerful. Yeah, they, you know, did some violent shit or they very inappropriate and they're very... um. In, feel entitled to do things, but it doesn't mean that they're strong or that they're smart or that they're that powerful, really. I love sucking it to them because <laughs> I feel like I, my voice is getting to change the narrative somewhat, and I really enjoy that because I think there's a lot of narrative to change there. I couldn't agree more. And let's talk about that. Let's talk about World's Dumbest Criminals. How long have you been at it now? It'll be so at five months, I've been doing World's Dumbest Criminals for five months. So I started in August and it's a solo project and I'm doing absolutely everything myself. I mean, the dog helps out when she can, but she's, to tell you the truth, she's really shit at research. Um, <laughs> she's, <laughs> she's really busy doing the press tour. Yeah, look, I, she handles my social media. It's mostly just drool now. <laughs> drool and sticks. Um but yes, yeah, so I've been making it for, for five months, five whole months. So I'm, it's still a baby. I mean, this show, I think we've actually done the same number of episodes, if not, cl- if not close. I'm on, this will be number 20 for me. Uh, yeah, I'm working on 20 right now. Uh, I've got four patron episodes. What is it with us? We just like do everything parallel, do we? <laughs> you just, you, <laughs> you copied me is what you did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you're copying me because- um, oh, the, shit, cha- yeah. the bloody murder actually stopped in March, but the change on your show didn't happen until August. Excuse me. 
Oh, no, the change in my show happened December 2020. Yeah, mine happened in March 2020. Oh, damn it. Oh, no, 2021. I am copying you. I got it wrong again. (sighs) How can I be copying you when I don't even know what you're doing most of the time? I don't know, but I just can. The joke's on you. I don't know what I'm doing either. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe that's actually what we have in common. (laughs) That might be, yeah. Oh, I got my years wrong on that. Okay, that's interesting. Wow. And so when did you start this in this incarnation? Because this is weekly, is it? Uh, Not anymore. It was last year. Yeah, yeah. I was weekly as well, but I had to go fortnightly to try and like get a grip. Yeah. Too much work. Trying to do a, a, a podcast every two weeks with it is like heavy on production and heavy on writing plus a weekly show where I have to find guests every weekend because I'm stupid. I, I over prepare for interviews. Yeah. I, it was, it was nuts. And so I backed off to, to biweekly just to, for my own sanity because yeah, there's only so much, so many hours in a day. And oh, I just, yeah. I ended up getting sick actually. I was trying to do, so oh, I was no. trying to get five episodes a month out. So weekly release and also a patron episode. Oof. Um, but yeah, I ended up getting sick and I just had to try and sort that out. So going fortnightly and now I've got to figure out what to do, possibly four a month because I think five was too much because I've got, it's about a five day turnaround for my episodes because right. researching and writing uh, takes a few days, then doing more writing and then recording and doing a rough edit is another day. And then actually editing and finalizing things is another day. And then you've got all your social media crap that I need to devote even more time to. Uh, and that's another, another one. So yeah, it's getting five out was a bit of a stretch. Unfortunately, I would love to though. That would be ideal. Maybe you can work up to it at some point. It's, it's one of those things or once once you start farming out some of the work. Well, I'm not in a financial situation to do that yet. Uh, hopefully at some point. Oh, it's a real come down too. I mean, you kept making ghost story guys, but because bloody murder ground to a halt, and then right. I started a new one. I was earning a living from Bloody Murder. It was like, you know, a pretty meager one, but it was still paying the bills, paying the rent. So then yep. starting up again and trying to get there, I mean, it's, it's been an experience of needing to embrace patience because it takes a while. But of oh, course, absolutely. I want to be kind of back where I was, but I also want to be making a good quality pro- product because otherwise I'm not going to get there. And just juggling things and I didn't do the technical side. So I didn't know how to edit or, uh, you know, deal with uploading things and, uh, you know, actually putting episodes out. So I did a course. uh, Oh, okay. That's very cool. Yeah. I did it through Pro Podcast Production with the awesome Darcy Milne. And that's an online thing. So you can kind of do it at your own pace. Um, Okay. And that kind of gave me the keys to the car to be able to produce things entirely on my own. Uh, and he's still, he's still working on stuff for me. He still answers my questions, even though I finished it several months ago. So that was, it was really the right fit. It was, I'm so grateful for that course. Cause I was sort of sitting there going, well, I can't make my own show. Cause I don't know how, how do I figure out how to learn how, <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. You're really hoping to one day be able to you know, I work at like a job because I hope that it, it can also get to the point where I'm able to pay the bills from it and things. And I mean, I still enjoy doing it and everything, but I do look at it as, as a, a work situation, not a hobby situation. And it's a bit of a come down to have been in that position and then find yourself like back at the beginning again. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I know when I started this show, I sort of had, uh, we'll say in, uh, in, 
optimistic, an optimistic sense of how much of the audience would, uh, would sort of come over. Mm-hmm. And so it was very much an adjusting my expectations kind of situation. And so consequently I, I've spent, I spent, I mean, with ghost story guys, I spent last year just rebuilding the brand. And now yeah. this year, my focus is on actually reaching out and sort of trying to market and, and get in touch with other shows and get to know other shows. Cause that's not something I'd really done before. And last year I didn't have the bandwidth, but I'm going to need to, because as you say, there's so many shows out there. I think it's something like 5 million podcasts and like in aggregate as of April, 2019, I think something like that. And yet that woman named Maria from South Africa has listened to all of them and knows that I'm the worst podcaster in the whole fucking world. I kind of want to put under your, your credit for the, for the, the episode cover, <laughs> Tara Saraband, worst podcaster in the whole fucking world. <laughs> I'd take it. I need to look more into comedy audiences as well, because I've been doing all my promo swaps and everything with true crime podcasts. And just because I'm doing something that does have a crime basis, it's not, you know, it's not murder. It's not super investigative. So it's not necessarily hitting that audience. I think I need to throw, throw my net into some other areas. And, you know, I'm a bit shy. So it, approaching people has always been a bit of a thing. But I'm also getting older and I have less fucks to give. And what's the worst that can happen <laughs> is they can, the worst that can happen is they can just be like, no, we hate you. You're disgusting and pathetic and terrible and get back in your hole, bitch. And the worst thing that probably will happen is that they'll just ignore me. So, you know, I think I can handle yep. that. There you go. No, I, uh, I, it's, it's tough though. It's a tough thing. You got to come out of that. Uh, cause essentially you have to, in a way, redefine your persona. Oh, uh, well, mine's very different in that it isn't, but it's more restrained. It's a lot more restrained cause I'm not going to sit here by myself and behave the way I would when someone's egging me on. <laughs> sure. <laughs> what less sea bombs. Um, but yeah. I'm sure you feel as though you're still entirely yourself, whatever persona it is that you're going with, though. Do you? Oh, I do, yeah. I, I guess what I mean by persona is how, not necessarily how you perceive yourself, but how other people perceive you or how you allow them to perceive you. You know, because people, they, they, they don't know you as a person. They know you as an entertainer. They know you by the way you, you are portrayed on the podcast. And obviously that's, as you say, that's a, it's slightly different than maybe who you are all the time or, and it's obviously different from who you are on, on world's dumbest criminals. So there's always that, that sense that, well, are people going to be able to follow this reinvention? Are they going to, you know, and, and I think that depends on how very much, it's a very personal thing. I think, you know, if, if you sort of have someone who doesn't, can't follow that transition at all, I think you could probably look at how they deal with people in their own lives and they're not real comfortable with personal evolution there either. I need a case study. <laughs> there we go. Listen, someone, a- someone, someone ha- handle this for us. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know with Bloody Murder, I'm, I'm getting more into it. And we did, we had a lot of the comedy came from our outtakes, which came from our kind of sideline conversations and in-jokes about ridiculous things. Right. And what I'm doing now doesn't have that aspect to it. And I never dropped the C-bomb thus far. Because as I was saying earlier, you can't unring that C-bomb once it's out. That's it. <laughs> you, you can't put it, the toothpaste back in the tube. So I'm still trying to figure out really how much to show of my personality right. and myself in that. I just released a patron episode that was looser. It had more, I found it a lot more humorous actually 
because there wasn't it wasn't as wasn't as tightened down the line as what I'm trying to do. I'm doing comedy with world's dumbest criminals, but I, for me, I'm being restrained. But people who've listened to Bloody Murder are not expecting, especially if they listen to the early stuff, are really possibly not there for that level of restraint. Yeah, <laughs> they're possibly there for the balls out, <laughs> the balls out, wow. Um, and so for them to see me a bit more buttoned up or hear me a bit more buttoned up might be, might seem just a bit odd to them. I went through a similar uh, thing when the, the change with Ghost Story Guys happened because you all of a sudden f- you feel very naked. You feel very exposed. Like now, now it's on me. You know, obviously I, I had another co-host, but I was the constant factor. So if it was going to fail, it was my fault. I remember sort of thinking like, how much of myself do I show? And obviously I tried not to speak about the change too much because I didn't want to seem like I was whining because I was the one who'd been, you know, who, who'd finally pulled the trigger. And so even though it was a necessary evil, I thought, well, I can't, I can't talk about how difficult this is. And I don't want to, uh, you know, I've kind of crafted a bit of a persona for myself in the, you know, er, as you say, in the early episodes, I was pretty wild. And that's not me. I'm a pretty thoughtful guy. You know, I, I, yes, I'm not, <laughs> yeah, I'm not, you know, wild and crazy. I mean, I swear a lot. And like I said, I'm a, you know, a pervert and a degenerate, but I allow these things out very selectively. Yeah. Same. There's definitely, I went through in the first probably couple months of ghost story guys. I would say probably the first four or five months, I, I was so buttoned up. I was, I was too buttoned up. It felt like I couldn't, like I, I wouldn't let myself relax. And ah. so that was, yeah. And finally, I think it was episode 108. So it was eight episodes in. So four months in before I, we, I think we hit an episode that was really hitting our stride. Having listened to world's dumbest criminals, I definitely, there was a moment on the most recent, sh- I think it was the most recent show. I'm trying to remember the, it, it opened up with the, the woman who flashed the Google car. Oh yeah. Google tits, Karen. It was on yep. her bucket list. She just had to chase down the Google car with her, <laughs> with her shirt up around her neck so that she could get her boobs on, onto Google maps. It was very important to her. <laughs> it's a life goal. You can't, you can't get mad if it's a life goal. I, I love Google tits, Karen. Yeah. Sorry. What were you saying? <laughs> no, no, no. Um, so yeah. So, but on that episode, there's a moment. I can't, it's not that story. It's one after. Is it when but, I leave the laugh, when I'm talking about the crimes about like boating while intoxicated? I remember I actually left in, I just started laughing and it was this really weird laugh at first and then it got normal and I just ended up leaving it in. I can't remember exactly, but you, you just had this little moment where you, you said an aside. It was just this little moment of an aside and it was so much more, it was just so relaxed. It was like, oh yeah, there it is. Well, I think when I first started doing it, my asides seemed a little forced. Well, I was also really unsure of how to get the tone on my own. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because I'm quite used to it now. It just all flows a lot better. It's a lot more natural and I'm willing to kind of go off script more and just chuck stuff in because I know I can get rid of that if I don't like it, if I don't think it lands. I'm the one editing. I don't have to worry that that's going to, I'm going to listen back to that episode and be like, oh shit, I sound like such a, a dick there. Because, you know, yeah, totally. I'm in charge. <laughs> that's um, right. I am getting a lot less criticism though um, for my new show. That's cool. Way less. Um, I've only had one review that wasn't super positive and it wasn't super negative. Although it's funny when random people on the internet tell you 
they know you better than they, than you know yourself, clearly. Of course. Because, uh, and I'm assuming it's a she, um, she said something about how I, I need to stop trying to be funny because it's just not you. And I'm like, so my whole fucking life's been a lie now because I'm a very somber and serious person who should probably stop trying to be funny. <laughs> it's just not, it's, it's just not in me. What luck that she chose to comment. You would have been living a lie. Oh, I know. Well, now I can, I can change everything in line with who I truly am that only she's been able to see up until now. Uh, but so much less criticism, so much less. Um, granted, it's only been five months and I'm sure, don't you worry, I, if, if there's one thing I will bet on in my life, it's that, that they will come for me. Um, but after five months of bloody murder, I, like, there were a lot more than that. <laughs> There was some really intense character assassinations going on there. So it's been really nice, though, because I just assumed, and I actually thought that maybe doing something by myself, I'd get even more hate stuff because there wasn't like a middle-aged white guy there to calm everyone down with just his existence. Um, But, (laughs) yeah, that, that hasn't been the case as yet. So, yeah, that was really pleasant. Also, I'm not dealing with murder anymore, and the fact that a lot of people hate comedy having anything to do with tragedy going to avoid some of that too and the fact it's called world's dumbest criminals i think the people that hate the kind of show it is probably won't come near it which is nice whereas people who hated comedy true crime would listen to bloody murder even though we told them that they wouldn't like it and then they'd get upset that we did exactly what we said we were going to do and so it's a very different thing but still in my head i just assumed the second i was out there I was going to, you know, they were going to start bombing me, but it just hasn't happened yet. Well, I'm happy to hear that because it's a great show. Again, I, I really enjoy it. And, and I think that uh, there's no need for that. It's one thing to see someone making a shitty show and catch hassle and you think, all right, yeah, fine. This will help you learn. But when someone's putting out a good product and they're getting shit on, it's just, uh, it's, it's unpleasant, you know? So I'm, I'm relieved to hear that that's not happening. Well, it's also great to have a chance to start over now that I have... S- far more of an idea of what I'm doing. I mean, people can listen to an episode from the first year of Bloody Murder and then they kind of assume that that's where you are now, whereas if they'd listened to something from the last couple, they would understand that probably the thing they're addressing is something that's been resolved for years. So right. being able to start again with more knowledge and not be putting as many feet wrong is, is a really great feeling as well, actually. And I hate upsetting people. I know better than to live my life around it. And I love upsetting misogynists. So that's cool. Like they can, they can cry all they want to. That's like taking vitamins. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's like, woo, that's just giving me gut health. Um, but (laughs) as we start to wind down here, Tara, I'm wondering what are some of your favorite dumbest criminals that you've covered on the show so far? I mean, Google, Google tits. Karen is one of my favorites just because she was so in her follow-up interviews, there were just zero fucks given. She was just yeah, so Yeah, she was really proud of it. I, yeah. I, I love yeah, yeah. that. And I her also son was it. right there. Oh, no. <laughs> and her kids are there. But you know what? I bet dude, Google Tits Karen has done far more outrageous stuff than that. You know, like you just kind of like, oh, yeah. that's just the one we saw. I bet, I bet Google Tits Karen can really just do all kinds <laughs> of awesome shit. Um, yeah, I love that she, she was cavalier about it. I love that she thought anyone who criticized her parenting was just a flat-chested woman who was jealous of her large boobs. That was great. (laughs) That just, like, warmed the cockles of my cold, dead heart. And she didn't end up, like, (laughs) 
they they did initially go to charge her with with something with like a you know disorderly conduct or something but then they ended up it didn't end up happening the charges were were dropped she oh, wasn't cautioned okay. or anything um i love that she didn't hurt anyone one of the police right. involved though likened it to arresting like a male flasher who's got his junk out at people it's so that different like pretty no thin. one would be scared that google tits karen was going to attack them you know they'd just be like that lady's big cray cray and probably, you know, like it's not threatening. So I do love that. I love socking it to perverts. That's my very favorite thing. I did right. one about um, Dr. Magic Flute the other day. Uh, he's oh, an dear. Italian gynecologist <gasps> who got caught in a sting um, because he would proposition his patients who didn't even have bad pap smear results. He would tell them that they had HPV and maybe early signs of cervical cancer. But if they had sex with him in a hotel room, he could what? cure them of it and make them immune to it in the future. Like, Oh, God. Literally, what a dick. And, and, of course, he didn't deny it either. He said that he has scientific proof that this was something that worked. And then afterwards, he, he got all, like, you know, oh, I've been in a trial by media. Oh, oh, oh you know, <laughs> poor me shit. And it's like, dude, you didn't even deny it. You just kind of a bit pissy because people didn't think you were like they didn't pat you on the back for it although really this topic isn't okay without mentioning the swiss cheese pervert i must you know, know. About him? i must know no i do not oh yeah yeah he's awesome so he would drive around he's um he's american it, it was a little while ago so i can't remember where uh but he would drive around like with his pants pulled down and he looks a little poor kind and we'll just put it that way um <laughs> right. poor sign maybe i can't i'm not sure how well, to say I that i think it's poor sign yeah, so he'd drive around with, a pe- with his pants down with a large piece of Swiss cheese and if he saw a woman that he found attractive, he'd like wave it at her and like offer her 20 bucks to rub it on his penis. Uh, okay. And of course, these women are just like, oh, seriously, dude, like fuck off and also thanks for ruining cheese for me. Yeah, um, especially Swiss cheese. It's amazing. Well, he even said that he could have hired a sex worker to do it for him but he didn't like those kinds of women, even oh, though he had seen sex workers in the past. But he's like shading sex workers and only wanting to harass unsuspecting women walking down the street with his fucking cheese dick. And then when he got <laughs> called out, he was talking a lot about how he'd been crucified by the media and his poor daughter and his poor wife because the media's made their life a living hell. And at no point did he, be, did he say, like, my, it was my actions that caused this. No, no God forbid. He also had this really long thing that he sent this this girl on a like um internet dating site about why he chose cheese as his preferred substitute for women. So yeah, that's a pretty oh, spe- <laughs> it's pretty special just because well, actually because of all of it, but also because of how he responded like they often want to play the victim in these situations and I just think it's hilarious. Like are you fucking kidding me? Um, I also really like, you know, little short ones, people who break into zoos and try to steal animals because that <laughs> never, it, it never goes well for them, you know? Nope. And the animals, I've only talked about the animals that are okay. I don't want to bring in any harmed animals into the podcast universe. But, yeah, this, there was this Kiwi guy who, who broke into a zoo in New Zealand and he, he um, tried to steal a spider monkey to give to his girlfriend for her birthday. <sighs> Oh, no. Oh, yeah, he broke his leg and knocked his teeth out because he fell off a wall. Just everything was ridiculous. 
just anything really ridiculous and bizarre gets me. God, I love it. I just love it. <laughs> Folks, check it out. The podcast is World's Dumbest Criminals. My guest has been Tara Saraban. Tara, where can folks find you online? World's Dumbest Criminals podcast. So <laughs> uh, you can find me through my ACAST website or our Facebook group, World's Dumbest Criminals podcast Facebook group or the page. I'm on Twitter at uh, WD Criminals Pod and on Instagram at World's Dumbest Criminals Podcast. And yeah, that's mostly it. But it's a lot of fun, um, the show, and the episodes are generally around 25 minutes, so nice and short, very punchy. I tend to cover several little cases and one sort of longer one. So give it a shot if you uh, like really bizarre, ridiculous things. I can't recommend it enough. And a secret feminist agenda. (laughs) Well, that's a given. Yeah, yeah. With the mind control and everything. Yeah, yeah. And um, just my accent, which... uh, you know, my laugh has had, go- has had a lot of reviews, like Your laugh. positive and negative from Bloody Murder. My laugh gets reviews of its own. Sometimes they're really scathing. And when they're scathing, they call it a giggle. And sometimes they're really like positive about it. But it's, just, it's one of those little weird things where you're like, I never knew my laugh would get iTunes reviews. In yet another bizarre parallel between the two of us, my laugh has been sampled by people and like turned into ringtones or this one office used to use it to scare each other when they were on the late <laughs> shift. That's, that's the brilliant. one consistent thing is my laugh I hear about. So that's again, yet another strange parallel between uh, ghost story guys and bloody murder. Well, really between me and you. Of which there are so many. Well, it's been brilliant chatting to you since we're twins and all. No kidding. <laughs> I had no idea. Do you have a January birthday too? March, March 24th. That's my brother's birthday. No shit. Yeah, no shit. March 24th, <laughs> no, 1972. Okay, mine's 83. Oh, okay. I'm on January 5th and um, it's a dumb time to have a birthday. But yes, anyway, I just thought I'd make sure we weren't also birthday twins. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, there's going to be some separation here. Otherwise, it's going to be weird. Well, yeah, maybe we're the same person. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. See, at least you got all the good stuff. Jesus, I got baldness and obesity. Oh, dude, I'm just not even going to go in on my bad stuff. There's, there's a lot. <laughs> just because you can't see it doesn't mean it isn't there. It's like an iceberg. I'm like an iceberg of bad shit, motherfucker. <laughs> All right. So again, my guest has been Tara Saraban, host of the podcast, World's Dumbest Criminals. Check it out. It's a ton of fun. You're going to enjoy it. I guarantee. Tara, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. This has been fantastic. And that's the ballgame. Don't forget to check out World's Dumbest Criminals. You can find that on podcast platforms everywhere. Huge thanks to Tara Saraban for taking the time. If you want to hear more from her, you can check the show notes or search for World's Dumbest Criminals on social media platforms everywhere. Thanks, as always, to Peter Kursov of Pizanta Music for my fabulous theme song. You can find more from him by going to nightharvestrecordings.com or by searching for Pizanta Music wherever you get your tunes. And finally, thank you for listening. Without you folks, there wouldn't be much point. Until next time, I hope the night takes you to the same strange and wonderful places it takes me. And remember, if you're not sure what comes next, put a call out into the dark. You never know who's going to pick up. I'll see you next time. <laughs>